uh, if you want to follow along in today's scripture reading, we are in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, and we're going to be reading uh, verses 21 through 38. I had to take a second look before I told you. So Luke chapter 2 verses, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry, Um, 22, verses 22 through 38. Just go to Luke chapter 2. Once I start reading, you just see those words and you follow along. No, no, we're going to be starting at at verse 22. When the days of purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons... And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit had been, and it had been, excuse me, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he came in the Spirit into the temple. And he came into the Spirit, into the temple. I've read before. I just, (laughs) you're going to have to excuse me here today. I'm sorry. (laughs) Thank you. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, for a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul, to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then, as a widow to the age of 84, she never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayer. At that very moment, she came up and began to give thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Well, Scott uh, mentioned it earlier at the beginning of our our praise and worship. Um, You might be sick of Christmas by this point. Uh, and in fact, uh, yesterday I, I went to the store and I was amazed here is just the day after Christmas and all of the Christmas candy was 50% off. They were already switching the aisle over to Valentine's Day. Uh, they were ready for Christmas to be over. And of course, the candy that was 50% off is candy that none of us buy anyway. Um, and... And I just, I I noticed that the day after Christmas, all of a sudden people are ready to move on. They're ready to move into the next holiday. And so if you're running into that in your household, the question of when do we take down the tree, uh, I've got news for you. If you're somebody that wants to keep the tree up, technically Christmas lasts until next week's Sunday. So if you're fighting in your household, 
there's the ammo for you. You can keep the tree up until next Sunday because what we have in the Christian calendar is we have the season of Advent, which is the first four Sundays before Christmas, and then we have the season of Christmas, which is Christmas Day and usually one or two, maybe three Sundays after Christmas Day. This time is called Epiphany. It's the time where we now celebrate that Jesus came into the world. So Advent is the time that we look forward to Jesus returning and we look forward to the Christmas season that God came. And now in this Christmas season, so uh, this last Friday, today, and, and next Sunday, we are now celebrating that Jesus has arrived. And so the scripture that we have today is the celebration that Jesus is here. And so for people like Simeon and Anna, They've been waiting their whole life for Jesus to appear. So we've celebrated Advent for four Sundays. So for just four weeks, we waited for Christmas to come. For somebody like Simeon and Anna, they've waited their whole life for Christmas to come. And and we know about uh, uh, Anna's age. She's in her 80s. She had been waiting her entire life up into her, her late 80s for Jesus to arrive. And somebody like Simeon, he had been waiting as well. And so when they see Jesus in the temple, think about the long wait that they had to go through, but not just the years of their life. Now think about the stories that they grew up with from their family, their Jewish families, and, and the fact that their people were once exiled to another nation. And that when they returned, they were promised that the Messiah would come. So they're not only uh, experiencing the personal weight of their own lives, okay, that, that time where they were alive, they're also carrying with them their ancestors, the people that came before them and waited for generations for the Messiah to arrive. And so there's this long-expected hope that the Messiah would come. And for somebody like Simeon, he had not just been waiting on his own, he had been waiting with God for the Messiah to arrive. So who is this man Simeon? Well, we actually don't know much about him except for what's just mentioned in these few verses. So one of the things that's mentioned about him is that he is religious, or I'm sorry, righteous and devout. So we know that he is somebody who practices the law according to the custom of the law. So he's righteous. Let's break that down a little bit. That means he's right before God. That means that he is doing everything he needs to do to please God. He's doing everything he needs to do to be in a right relationship with God. Namely, he has faith. Namely, he trusts that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. And we get that actually uh, from way back in Genesis. I don't know if you remember, but the story of Abraham, uh, what it said about Abraham is that he had faith in God, and so God credited his faith as righteousness. Uh, Genesis, the book of Genesis wasn't saying that Abraham was a good person. It was that Abraham trusted that God was going to fulfill in him his promises. And so because he trusted in God, God looked at Abraham and said, that is the right relationship that we're supposed to have. 
And so Simeon has this similar relationship with God. He has faith that God is going to send his Messiah, that God is going to reveal to him who this Messiah is, and so that puts him in a right relationship with God. So Simeon's faith in God is what makes his relationship with God righteous. Well, then it also says that Simeon was a devout man. Another way that we can translate this is that he was a disciplined person. He was a disciplined man. So we know that he goes to the temple. We know that he fulfills temple duties that he's supposed to fulfill. Uh, This makes him devout. This means that he not only has faith in God, it means that his faith is producing good works in what he's supposed to do. So he trusts that God is going to send his Messiah. Now he's going and doing what God has told him to do in the temple. He's offering sacrifices. He's offering prayers. He's offering his service. Another way that maybe we can understand this is is the discipline that we have in our own lives. So I'll give you a, a really rough example here. I like a clean house. Uh, unfortunately, I have kids, so that is difficult. And if you if you've ever been a kid, you know that you've had a point in your life where you've not wanted to clean the house. How many experience that as children? How many still experience that as adults? We want the result of a clean house, at least I do, but I don't want to clean it. I don't want to go through and vacuum and do the dishes and wipe down the counters and sweep and do the laundry. But why do I get that done? Because I want the result of a clean house. And so what motivates me? Discipline. That's how I get a clean house. To just be disciplined, whether I want to do it or not, I want the result of a clean house, and so I do the dishes as much as I don't like doing the dishes. I clean up as much as I don't like to clean up. And I'm teaching my kids to have that same kind of discipline, that it doesn't matter if you don't want to do it, you need to get it done. This is the kind of discipline that Simeon had. I'm sure he had days where he did not want to go into the temple, I'm sure he had days where he didn't want to fulfill the temple duties that he was supposed to fulfill as a Jewish man. But the scripture says that he was devout. He did it anyway because of the faith that he had in God. So he wanted to see the result of God's faithfulness in his life, and he did what God told him to do. We run into this with our own Christian lives. We want the result of God working within us, but sometimes what that takes in us is discipline. There are moments, and I won't make you raise your hand, where you just don't feel like praying. You know you're supposed to pray. You know you're supposed to read God's word. You know you're supposed to pause and give God praise, but you might not feel like it. But when you do it out of your faith in God, That's called spiritual discipline. That means that you care about the end result and you're willing to do whatever is necessary for God to work in you, that end result. And that's what Simeon is going through. He is a devout man. He is a disciplined man. He is looking for the end result of the Messiah coming into this world and so he is going to work on his relationship with God and that work that he's doing is based on his faith in God. Are you tracking So that is the work that Simeon is doing. And on top of it all, it says that the Holy Spirit dwelt in him. 
So he had such a good relationship with God that the Holy Spirit was in him. Now, this is a profound statement for somebody like Simeon because, bef- because at this time, before the coming of the Holy Spirit, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit only came into some people based on God's will. Not everybody had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so we see this throughout the Old Testament. They will make especially clear that some people, like David, the Holy Spirit dwelt in him and he began to dance. So we have persons from the Old Testament where it's said that the Holy Spirit dwelt in them, but not everybody had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so when it says about Simeon that he had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it means he had a special relationship with God. Now, for us Christians today, we have the privilege of being offered the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have asked God for the forgiveness of sins, if you are choosing to follow Jesus, you should have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He has been offered to you to lead your life. And Simeon had this. And what the Holy Spirit had been revealed, in, or excuse me, what the Holy Spirit had revealed to him is that he would not die until he saw the comfort of Israel. That is to say, Simeon's hope was that before he died, God would grant him that he would see who the Messiah was, who the Savior of the world was so that when he died, he would have peace, that his people would be looked after. So for Simeon, the Holy Spirit told him that he would die in peace. Now, we have this phrase, uh, uh, now I can die in peace. Has anyone ever used that? Uh, we, we tend to use it, I, I hate to say it, but we tend to use it a little carelessly. As many of you know, I'm a Detroit Lions fan. If they ever ever make it to the Super Bowl. I don't even care if they win the Super Bowl. If they just go to the Super Bowl, I can die in peace. Now, considering they lost 47-7 to yesterday, I'm not holding my breath. But that's a phrase that we tend to use in something that we hope for. It's, it's something that we want to see, and so we say, boy, if I could just see that, then I can die in peace. Or maybe we've seen something that just that gives us joy and happiness, and then we say, oh, now I can die in peace. But for Simeon, this was his whole life. His whole life was praying for and waiting for the Messiah to arrive so that his people would be comforted. And so the Holy Spirit revealed to him, Simeon, you will, see the whole, you will see the Messiah that the Lord sends. You will be able to see Jesus Christ. And so when he walks into the temple, it just happens to be the same day that Mary and Joseph arrive with baby Jesus. And they come to offer a sacrifice to God. This is the dedication of of a Jewish child unto God. And so they offer this sacrifice. and, And Simeon is there to offer his sacrifices. And when he sees Jesus, he knows. We talked about this last week with the shepherds. When the angel says, you'll find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger, what kind of sign is that? You know, there was no markings on Jesus. There was nothing physically about his appearance that would attract anybody to him. 
And yet Simeon knew within his heart the Holy Spirit told him, this is the Messiah. And when Simeon sees Jesus as a baby, he walks up and and he begins to praise God for what he sees. He praises God because he can now die in peace. And Simeon actually very literally says that. He says, now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant. Now, God, I can die in peace because I see the Messiah that you have sent into this world. And what he says to God is, is he gives praise to God, and he says, not only can I die in peace now, but now I have seen your salvation who comes into the world. I now see the one that is coming to save this world from sin and death. And he doesn't exclude anybody. He actually, he, he mentions the two groups that there would have been. He mentions the Gentiles or the nations. So everybody that isn't Jewish, Jesus comes to save them. Jesus comes to be a light to them that they would know who God is and enter into a relationship with God. And then he says on top of it, also, he comes as a comfort to Israel. He comes as a glory to Israel. So God's people that have been waiting for generations and generations for the Messiah to arrive, when Simeon sees Jesus, he says, now I can die in peace because I have witnessed who the salvation of this world is. So that's the praise that he gives to, to God. And then he looks at Mary and, and he says, he, he says and, and let me just quote it here, in, uh, in, in verse, um, I've read the Bible before, honest. Excuse me, uh, verse 34, he says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will, will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. How would you like somebody to say that about your newborn son? How would you like the doctor to come in just as your child has been born and hold that baby up and said a sword is going to pierce even your own soul? This child is going to be a sign for many to to, uh, be opposed to. Well, this is a prophetic utterance that Simeon gives about Jesus, and he's letting Mary know this is what the salvation of the world is going to look like. Many are going to rise and many are going to fall based on this boy. And what he means by that is when you come into contact with Jesus Christ, you have a decision to make. And that decision could end in your rising or your falling. Simeon says this about Jesus. Many are going to come into contact with him and they're going to have a decision to make. Are we going to follow him or are we going to deny him? I think of a story I heard from, from one of my teachers. Uh, he said that he was an atheist for the longest time. Uh, he didn't believe in the gospel, and it was two women from a local church that came to his door and invited him to their Bible study. And, and he said that, that, you know, him being an atheist, he, he began to argue with them about how God couldn't exist. And, and he said they were really nice, but they just they, they didn't know how to argue back with them. They couldn't give him really good explanations. And so he said to them, well, I really appreciate your concern, but if you would, just leave me alone. I'm not interested. But he said he had no peace after that. And he said it's because he knew he heard the gospel 
and he had to make a decision. It didn't matter what arguments they could put up about the gospel. It didn't matter whether they could argue with him against atheism for the existence of God. It's the very fact that they shared who Jesus was, and he said, I had to make a decision. And of course, that evening, he made the decision to follow Jesus. And what Simeon says is, Jesus is going to meet with everyone, and when he meets with them, they are going to have to decide, will I follow him or will I deny him? And then he says, he will be a sign for many to oppose. Of course, what that means is, for those that deny him, he will become a sign that they need to oppose. He will become somebody that they work against and do not, not only don't want to follow, but now I have to work against him. I have to deny him actively. And of course, we see this with the religious leaders, the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the teachers of the law. They come into contact with Jesus. They deny him, and from then on, they begin to work against him. He is somebody that they long to oppose. And what Simeon says to Mary is, Mary, as his mother, this is going to hurt you. Now there's a special relationship that Mary has with her son, and we see it throughout the Gospels, that she's able to talk with him in a way that nobody else can talk to Jesus. We actually see that in the wedding in Cana in John chapter 2. They run out of wine, and they don't know what to do, and, and Mary approaches Jesus and says, uh, they've ran out of wine. Do your thing. <laughs> she doesn't even tell him what to do. She just says, they ran out of wine. And I love Jesus' response. It's only something a son can say to his mother. Woman, my time has not yet come. And then she looks at the servants and says, he'll do it, just listen. Well, how do you know he'll do it? I'm his mother. So Mary has this special relationship with Jesus, and, and what Simeon says to Mary is, this is going to pierce your soul. You are going to watch your own son, who is the salvation of the world, the Messiah that has come for his people, you are going to watch some of your own people deny him and work against him. And of course, this is one of the many prophecies that we have in the Gospels of Jesus' death on the cross. But Simeon says, in doing this, people's hearts will be revealed. They will open their hearts up to God, and they will choose to follow him or not. So after Simeon gives this praise to God and gives this prophecy over Jesus, Anna comes. And, and Anna, uh, she's just a special story. She, she was married for a few years. Her husband ends up dying. And, and she decides that instead of getting remarried, she's going to serve in the temple for the rest of her life. Now, that, that is a big decision for somebody to make. For one, as far as I can tell, there really wasn't an official position for her to take up in the temple. As far as I can tell, she could have helped with some of the temple duties, but she couldn't have been a priest, so she couldn't have been a high priest. She couldn't have overseen any of the sacrifices. But what the scripture says about her is that she commits herself to prayer and fasting in the temple. So she comes to the temple every day instead of getting remarried. And by the way, in her day and age, being married was her retirement plan. 
There, there wasn't anything else that widows could do, especially widows that didn't have sons. They couldn't own property. They really couldn't do anything. They would have to go live back with, with relatives that might take them in. So she's a vulnerable person. The best thing for her to have done would have been to get remarried. But she decides not to do that and instead spends the rest of her life in prayer and fasting in the temple. And the scripture tells us that she was a prophetess which means that she was a mouthpiece for God. If God wanted to speak to his people, he would use her. That didn't turn out too well for the prophets of the Old Testament, did it? Oftentimes the prophets were speaking to God's people and they weren't listening. Oftentimes the prophets were approaching God's people and letting them know what they were doing wrong how they could correct it, but they were still letting people in power and positions of authority know that, that they're in the wrong and they need to correct things. And so for Anna to be a prophetess, uh, not only was she a widow with, with nothing to help her, but now she's a prophet. She is somebody that has to speak to God's people on God's behalf. That can be a scary situation for somebody. But Anna does it faithfully. She enters the temple every day and is praying for God's people, is fasting for God's people. And she just happens to walk into the temple as Simeon is giving praise to God for the Messiah and is giving a prophecy over this child, the Savior of the world. And when she sees the child, she approaches and she begins to give God praise. Not only does she begin to give God praise, but then... She begins to tell others. She begins to be that mouthpiece for God. And she, she tells everybody that's coming into the temple, if you're here looking for the Messiah, the child is in, is in here. The Messiah has been born. Great news for the nation of Israel to hear. Well, where do we go with this? Well, one of the points that really stuck out to me, not just in this reading, but as we've gone through all of the Christmas readings this Advent and Christmas season, notice all of the people that have been used by God for the Savior to come into the world. I mean, we've got, we've got Mary, Joseph, Elizabeth, Zechariah. So there's the immediate family right there. We have shepherds out in the field. We have magi from the east, so foreigners that come. And then we have Simeon and Anna. Of all these people that, that get to meet Jesus, that hear of Jesus, the Messiah coming into the world, only two of them have religious positions. Everyone else is just a regular person. Everyone else is, is a shepherd, they're a foreigner. Uh, Joseph was a carpenter. You have Zechariah, who was a high priest. In fact, that year he was a high priest. So he's probably, of all of the people that encounter Jesus, he is probably the most religious. All right, to give you an idea of how important high priest is, uh, think of uh, who has the most authority in, in the religious world. That was the high priest. That was the one that told everybody what the temple duties were. That was the one that directed the people for the year. And look what happened to Zechariah. When he heard that his wife was pregnant, he didn't believe, so God shut his mouth so he couldn't talk. So really, you only have one person with religious authority, with a title in the religious community, and that was Anna, who served faithfully. 
What's the point I'm trying to make? God doesn't care what religious title you hold. He really doesn't. So, so if you're ever thinking that you cannot accomplish what God is calling you to accomplish because you don't have the title of a teacher or a pastor, you don't have a special title in this church, just know God doesn't care about your religious title. He cares about your devotion. God is looking for people that are in a right relationship with him, that are wholly devoted to accomplishing his work. In fact, what I've noticed is there tends to be two different titles that we have within the church. We have the titles within the church. We have board members, we have pastors, we have teachers, okay? But the titles that I think are the most important are what titles you hold out in the community when you come into contact with people who don't believe. When you come into contact with people that don't know that the Messiah came into this world. That's an important title that you hold. God wants to use it. But he wants to use it if you're devoted to him. He wants to use it if you are in a right relationship with him. If you're looking to be used by him. That's what God is looking for to change this world. He needs people that are going to be outside of the church, that are going to be witnessing to people, that are going to be sharing their relationship with others, like Simeon and Anna. Somebody who, who is willing to be uh, the, the loud mouth that bothers everybody with the gospel. It's okay, you're not going to embarrass us. That's what we're supposed to do. The second point that we get, and, and I'll close with this point here, is, is notice the, the sequence of what happens in this passage. Simeon and Anna are waiting for the Messiah to come. When the Messiah comes and they meet him, they then go out and give praise and, and witness to others about his arriving. But watch what's happened in our lives. Since Jesus has arrived and since he is in this place, we have met the Messiah. We've already met him. We've already heard his words. He's already spoken to us personally. We have already decided to follow him. So now we go out into the world and we pronounce this as our testimony. We now go out and share with others, like Anna, like Simeon, we begin to tell others about the consolation of his people, the comfort of his people. We begin to tell others what Christ is doing in this world. But, but look at what we're doing now. We're waiting. So Jesus has died. He's been resurrected. He's ascended into heaven. He's sitting at the right hand of God, and he's waiting to come back. Well, what are we waiting for in waiting for God? God is now coming with his kingdom. Pastor Mark mentioned it uh, in our Christmas Eve service that 2020 has, has not been the best year. I don't know if you've noticed that. But as we close out in the next few days, it's, it's a reminder that our hope is not built on anything in this world. And in fact, the troubles that come in this world, the difficulties that come into this world, we look at that with the lens of hope that Jesus will return.
And as we read in, in Revelation 21, what happens at the end of time? Heaven and earth come down. Jesus arrives with his kingdom and he casts out darkness. He casts out sin. He casts out death. Revelation 21.4 He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death, no more sickness, no more crying, no more pain. For the old things have gone and the new things have come. So as we have met the Savior, as we've met the Messiah, we tell others about who he is and now we wait with steadfast hope that that great anticipation that this Messiah has come, this Messiah is here, this Messiah, Jesus Christ, is coming back to make all things new. We wait with, with everlasting hope. We wait knowing that it'll happen. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you, Lord, for, for what you've revealed to us. We thank you, God, for revealing to us that you are the Messiah and calling us into a relationship with you. We pray, God, in, in this relationship that you would be the guide. You would be the one telling us what to do and where to go and who to speak to. Lord, we also pray for that, uh, that steadfast devotion that Simeon has. We pray that you would put that in our lives, that, that we would be spiritually disciplined to do what we need to do for your kingdom. And God, we pray that you would give us that boldness that Anna has, that, that boldness that, that we would go and bother others about what you've done in our life and what you want to accomplish in others' lives and, and what you're bringing to earth at the end of time. God, we pray for all of this, and, and most of all, Lord, we pray that you would build up in us that hope, that hope of your return, that when you come, you will make all things new. Amen.